You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast with Nori. I'm Ross Kenyon. I'm one of the co-founders of Nori and the creative editor there, Alessandra Guerra. Said like such a gringo. I didn't even try to roll the R's. I got two in my own head there. Is that okay? You act like you have been having to say yeah. my name for like yeah. five years. <laughs> yeah. Something, something about not wanting to do the intro a second time if I had goofed on it. Despite being a mediocre Spanish speaker, I I psyched myself out. Head of demand, co-founder of mine. Five years. Been doing this for more than five years I've known you. Can you believe it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to explain to a new hire that we've gone from being like basically familial or like siblings to now like a proper company at this this point. It's been sort of surreal. But uh, yeah, anyways, you're my like company sibling. I view you as such. I don't know if you think of me that way too. I actually just used that uh, that analogy with Rochelle, former CEO of Mammoth that got required, but we were talking about like co-workers, siblings, and I was like, yeah, I get that. Darren's never been on the show yet. Darren, you're newer, so you're maybe you're more of like a cousin, and maybe we'll get there. I don't know. It's kind of a long road. What a weird introduction. I bet you didn't expect that. But <laughs> Darren McElvey, head of crypto partnerships here at Nori. Hey, Darren. Hey, cousin. Hey, cousin. <laughs> this is. Nice. Do I want the show to start this way? I need to think about that. I'm not convinced that I do, but. Uh, thanks for being here, Darren. You do really interesting work, so much in the world of crypto and trying to connect us with people. Yeah, there are a lot of people that want to have a, a real uh, impact in climate. And I think that's Nori is at the nexus of that. So this gives me an opportunity to talk to everybody. You're a busy, busy man. One of the schmooziest I've ever met. You made it sound oh. actually worse than I think because... There's some connotations like of like inauthentic, uh, glad handing. I, yeah. You know. yeah, I don't. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Chief. <laughs> I've just been to con- most conferences. I end by being spiritually, emotionally, physically exhausted and hating everything and wanting to sleep. And you're like, we can't go home yet. We have to stay for three <laughs> more days. And more. <laughs> See the dynamic between me and Darren when it comes to conference. Special skill. It's a special person. It's very important to have this person on your team. Energized. You know, like some people have extra room in their stomach for ice cream, like always. I have, (laughs) I don't know if the metaphor will translate to extra energy to meet interesting people. It's always an adventure and I like to improv with people. One more thing on this is like, you know, the zone of genius term, Ross. Sure. Right. And so part of this, and we're going to introduce our guest soon, Ben, who's here and we're looking on the screen together, is uh, to work within your zone of genius. And so when we're out at events, it's Darren's zone of genius. I mean, like genius excellence. And it's my like, it sucks energy out of me. So we've had to learn how to like use me as a fine resource throughout those weeks. But they always pretty useful because apparently someone's walking around this WeWork in Miami with a tote they found at the Mainnet conference in New York City, who I have not met yet. So Yeah, that's impressive. Okay, Ben, we can't just leave you here on ice for 10 minutes while we gab about ourselves. Surely you must <laughs> say hello. Ben West, head of causes at Gitcoin. Hi, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here for this uh, family reunion event. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Uh, what a weird intro, but... Okay. Where are you on the spectrum of being energized or exhausted by a conference? I, I would define myself as an uh, introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert, I think actually would be the way to put it. Like I can show up in a very extroverted way, but it drains the heck out of me. You know, I've like done a lot of emceeing conferences and standing on stage at rallies and things like that. And uh, sort of a, a earlier version of my life. And I do a lot of Twitter spaces and stuff. But I think in my true state, I'm like most comfortable on the couch with my dogs, and my partner, but I can like sort of force myself to, you know, kind of be the extroverted version of myself as needed. <laughs> well, very that nice. <laughs> uh, I always love these types of shows too, where someone has been a longtime listener and they get to now come onto the show, break the fourth wall. You're now in the show. Is this surreal for you at all? Or is this just another day at the office? 
it is surreal for me. Uh, it'll probably be even more surreal when I like actually see it show up in my like Spotify feed or whatever. That'll probably be the particularly uh, sort of fourth wall breaking uh, experience. But yeah, b- before we started uh, recording, I was telling Ross that I just went back through the catalog and um, found some of the earliest uh, episodes that I listened to. And, and one that really jumped out at me was uh, with Albert Bates, uh, who was talking about biochar and his book uh, Burn. I think was like back in 2019 I had to click that show more episodes button a bunch of times to get to it I remember that episode that was a while back that was like a we were somewhere I don't know but I remember that episode that was crazy I always love hearing stories like that or just just doing it and someone thought about something differently or it gave them a new idea is always like the supreme satisfaction of the podcast there are other things that come of it but that's always the one that makes me most excited Ben I think we should just start at what Gitcoin is. Uh, let's assume that someone listening is maybe somewhat familiar with crypto, but mostly not. And uh, walk us through what Gitcoin is. What are you trying to solve with it? How's it work? So Gitcoin gets its name from GitHub. Uh, for anybody who's familiar with open source web development, GitHub being like the platform that a lot of people use to uh, you know, build in public, uh, to share code, to you know, sort of iterate on code. And Gitcoin was actually started as basically a platform for bounties for people to do open source web development projects. Uh, and that was when I first heard of Gitcoin. I'm a you know longtime supporter of open source software and you know use Linux as much as I can make it make sense in my life and you know use a lot of open source web software. So I was interested in Gitcoin for a long time. It actually uh, was born out of consensus at the group in New York that you know is behind MetaMask amongst many other things. And Kevin Awaki, the one of the co-founders, you know, had worked at Consensus doing a very variety of different projects there. And, you know, basically that was where the Gitcoin project began. It's evolved a lot since then. There was this idea that came from Naomi and Glenn from Radical Exchange, as well as Vitalik Buterin, who I'm sure folks have heard of from Ethereum, uh, which was this idea of quadratic funding. Which, without getting too into the weeds of like how this math works, really the the idea of it is it it's a way to democratize decision making so that people do not have extra influence because they have extra money. And the way that that plays itself out for Gitcoin is that Gitcoin created a grants platform, uh, basically a peer to peer like crowdfunding platform, uh, similar to GoFundMe or that kind of thing. And with the help of this quadratic funding mechanism, we allocate funds from partners. So we raise money from matching fund partners. And that's like everybody from Polygon to ENS to Coinbase and OpenSea and like lots of uh, basically projects that come out of the crypto world who provide funding to distribute on their behalf. And we use this quadratic funding mechanism to democratically make decisions about how that funding should be allocated. So really the the way that I generally sort of break down quadratic funding in its most basic sense is if you had $100 in matching funds and two different grantees who are trying to get that funding, and they both raised $100 from individual donors, uh, but one of them got it from one donor and one of them got it from 10 donors. So one person received $100 donation, the other person received 10 $10 donations. The matching funds would be distributed for $20 to the person with one donor and $80 to the person with 10 donors. So basically, the quadratic algorithm, the way that it plays out, uh, is when an individual goes and makes decisions about who to give a little donation to on our peer-to-peer fundraising platform, their funding can be matched by dramatically more money than what they're actually donating. So I could be you know, donating a dollar to a project and it could be matched with $10, $20, $30, even sometimes you know, hundreds of dollars or more, depending on how that quadratic algorithm is kind of playing itself out. And, and for a lot of people, that's kind of the magical experience that they have using the Gitcoin platform is seeing those matching funds allocated. But really at its core, the problem we're trying to solve is helping early stage projects get funding in the crypto space. So we run a number of different rounds. We have one big main round, which is largely open source web development projects you know, that are building something in the crypto world. And then we have ecosystem rounds, which are run by you know folks like ENS or Polygon, you know, who are basically encouraging people to build things on their protocol or their platform. And then we have cause rounds. And I'm lucky enough to have the job of helping to support these cause rounds. So we have a climate solutions round, a diversity, equity, inclusion round, a decentralized science round, an advocacy round, 
We've also run uh, rounds for support for Ukraine and many other things. And yeah, we get to allocate to, on a quarterly basis, something like $3 million overall to a whole bunch of different projects, but a million dollars in the in the cause round specifically. By people voting with their wallets, we can make decisions about how that funding gets allocated that are you know fair and, and put money directly in the hands of lots of people who may not have had access to funding otherwise. So can you tell us a little bit about what happens in a round? Like who are the people that participate, like an example of a project, for example, and then what are the things that they are required to do throughout a round and when it closes? Sure. So our grants funding rounds, you know, are really kind of a three-sided market in a sense. You know, we've got our grantees, our donors, and our partners. You know, so between rounds, we're raising money from matching fund partners to to have that matching fund that's available. You know, and the grantees, you know, the experience that they have is generally you basically have to set up a proposal. It's a much easier process than many other grant proposal processes that uh, that people would be familiar with. Um, as somebody who spent much of my life in the nonprofit sector, super familiar with you know how cumbersome some of those processes can be, how time consuming they can be. Really, to apply for a Gitcoin grant, all you need is a description of your project, a Twitter account, a website, and a wallet address. And you know those descriptions can be anything from like a few paragraphs to you know some people copy and paste their white paper over. But ultimately, really, the ones that are successful are the ones that articulate their project in the simplest, clearest, most transparent way possible. You know, so for example, in the last climate round, we had about 200 projects who applied. There are a wide range of projects, everything from folks working on, um, you know, refi and carbon offsetting infrastructure of one kind or another, some folks working on things like oracles, you know, some folks doing arts and culture projects, podcasts, people writing books, all kinds of different things. The neat thing about our, our cause rounds is that we actually have opened them up, whether you're an open source web development project or not, we're basically using this quadratic mechanism and the crypto community as sort of a new funding source for all kinds of traditional, you know, climate solutions projects, uh, as well as DEI projects and, and DSI projects. You know, so we're we're seeing you know really a wide range of uh, of projects getting funded. Really, the thing that's consistent is that generally speaking, we try to help very early stage projects. You know, a lot of the projects that come to us actually are referred to us by you know VCs or angel investors who see something that's very early stage but haven't you know aren't quite ready to invest in that particular project, and they encourage them to go out and seek funding to sort of get a proof of concept to test their idea in the court of public opinion, so to speak. You know, sometimes it's projects that don't want to have a VC funder or they're looking to be independent and really bootstrap their way to success. So we definitely see a lot of projects like that. And increasingly, we're seeing a lot of projects from the global south who uh, a small amount of money can really go a long way. And, uh, you know, there's over 35,000 people who donated in our last round, about a million dollars raised directly from individual donors on top of the $3 million that we get from matching fund partners. You know, so there's there really is a lot of different roles that people play and some even play all three. I've seen some uh, projects donate some funds to one round, participate in another round and also be individual donors to people on various other rounds. You know, so it, in, a, in the beauty of sort of the decentralized space that we live in, uh, there's a lot of different ways people can get involved and in, in either, you know, support projects or be a project. So you talked about the climate round. This uh, climate's near and dear to you. You've been an activist for a number of years, and I think I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. How informs the lens that which you see this open source crowdfunding platform? You know, have you ever thrown soup on a Van Gogh painting or glued yourself <laughs> to a wall? Like, right. what kind of activist? I'm not poo-pooing that at all because I think that there are some strong messages around that. But what makes your experience unique in coming into a very like respected platform in crypto? Thanks for that question, Darren. Uh, I, I have not thrown tomato soup at anything, although I have uh, organized training sessions for lots of different civil disobedience actions and participated in them. Uh, I've often been the person talking to the media next to the civil disobedience action. You know, in my past life, I uh, have been a campaign staffer for uh, an, a few different relatively large environmental NGOs. So, I mean, I think to answer your question of like sort of what lens do I bring to the work at Gitcoin, like 
I'm I'm a climate campaigner and activist first and foremost. Like my goal has always been to try to do whatever I could to sort of help move the climate movement forward, help sort of uh, expand the size and scope of who's involved in that movement. You know, and to me, like Gitcoin was something that was interesting to me just as a person who was interested in technology. But as there's increasingly been more and more efforts to use blockchain technology to solve some of the bigger problems in the climate space, you know, particularly around accountability and transparency when it comes to uh, carbon offsets, but also, you know, just looking at any number of different things that can be done with blockchain technology around logistics or carbon accounting, you know, or just directly funding projects and putting more money directly in the hands of the people with various different DeFi protocols. I've just increasingly been interested in sort of what was possible using blockchain technology. And when the opportunity came up to sort of help Gitcoin with this process, I guess the lens that I bring to it is like, you know, really just trying to identify projects that genuinely are going to have a positive impact on the climate that are are, are more reality than hype and trying to just try to make sure that there's a level playing field for everybody who's getting involved. You know, one of the big advantages that anybody with a DAO or a podcast or something like that has when they show up on the Gitcoin platform is that they've got a, a pre-existing Web3 community. So like one of the big things that I've been trying to do is ensure that there's as level of a playing field as possible with access to, you know, a microphone and opportunities to get your project out in front of people, even if you might not come with a pre-existing community. So that's the lens I, I bring to this work is uh, is that background. So what happens after the round closes? Like, what are you typically seeing? Do you um, reach back out to some of these projects? Uh, have you had any like success stories that move beyond the grant round? Yeah, I mean, the the really interesting thing uh, for me now, having been at Gitcoin for a little over a year, which is like 10 years in crypto land, which I guess means uh, y'all have been doing Nori for like 50 plus years now or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has been just like seeing the ebb and flow of, you know, the sort of composability and interoperability of these various different projects, like, you know, people finding new co-founders, people pivoting their projects from one to another, um, you know, definitely some kind of early success stories. You know, for example, Toucan was one of the projects that got started as a, a project on, uh, on Gitcoin, uh, you know, which... Every project's got its upsides and downsides, but interesting to see, you know, that what their road has looked like over the past uh, year or so. You know, of course, Uniswap was started as a Gitcoin grant, Bankless DAO, uh, you know, EtherJS, a number of different sort of core pieces of Ethereum code, uh, you know, were actually built, uh, you know, starting as Gitcoin grants. You know, so a lot of them outside of the climate round, but as the the sort of purveyor or the or coordinator of the of the cause rounds, it's been particularly interesting to sort of see all these projects that are evolving out of Gitcoin, like Senkin and, you know, Return Protocol and, you know, really? so many others that, uh, yeah, tons. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of really interesting projects that are kind of graduating, I guess you could say. And one of the things that we're, we're trying to do now is really create these feedback loops where as people kind of graduate out of our grants program and sort of reach uh, uh, this relatively arbitrary level of funding that we've considered sort of the cutoff for being part of the round, uh, which is a half a million dollars in funding, you know, that those folks then come back and become the supporters or partners on, on future rounds. And we actually had our sort of first alumni round you know, this past round where we had a number of our previous, you know, grantees become funders and partners in the round moving forward. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been really interesting to, to see the sort of ebb and flow of different projects. Like, for example, Astral Protocol was an interesting Oracle based project, which was, uh, you know, folks from a number of different projects coming together, Demeter, Demeter is another similar project that we're seeing evolve right now. And a bunch of projects that are starting to take on more work in the diversity, equity, inclusion spaces. They've met, you know, folks from that end of the the grants protocol world, and it's interesting to see how that's kind of changing the the face of some projects as they're thinking more about diversity and thinking more about sort of you know who their team is and sort of how they're approaching the space and who they're inviting in. Yeah, so uh, lots of different ebbs and flows. Uh, still pretty early. Really, just been a year since we've been running climate rounds, but already, you know, just interesting to see the the projects that are evolving and growing. And I'm I'm very curious to see who becomes the next sort of Uniswap of the of the refi space. I imagine to many people listening that the career arc of climate activists to someone within the crypto ecosystem 
This is not that common or that likely of a mix. What about uh, blockchain animates you and makes you feel like this is the best use of your time as someone who sees themselves as primarily a climate activist? Good question. And I love telling my crypto origin story because it's pretty weird and different than most people's, I would say. Um, <laughs> I was working for an environmental nonprofit looking for a space to host a event about a proposed pipeline in British Columbia. And I went and checked out a yoga studio that was run by a friend of mine uh, who was a... Uh, you know, techie guy, one of the people who I often talk to about Linux, he was running a Bitcoin mining rig in the back of his studio. This was like in 2014, maybe 13, uh, you know, so going back a ways. And he, uh, you know, introduced me to this mining rig, not because of the Bitcoin that he was mining, but because he was dehydrating fruit with this interesting contraption he built on the back of his mining rig. I just assume this is, this is you're, you're in Canada because of your oots. And then this was like, a hot yoga studio, and this was a waste heat kind of thing. It sounds like I was kind of on, on track. You, you were correct. This was in Vancouver, uh, and I do use boots. But yeah, I mean, this friend of mine uh, was, you know, a real counterculture kind of a person, was kind of in the sort of libertarian space somewhere between left and right, which is kind of where I would put myself as well on many issues, you know, sort of preferring decentralization uh, and like sort of local approaches. And, you know, I saw Bitcoin at the time as kind of a counterculture activity, like anything that was, you know, highlighting the problems with the big banks really resonated with me. And, you know, this was long before people were talking about energy consumption as it related to crypto. But I actually spoke at my first crypto conference, which was like a group of people in a coffee shop in 2015. Wow. And, you know, talked about how Bitcoin and other, you know, cryptocurrencies could play a role in basically creating new microeconomies that could help fund the renewable energy revolution that I was hoping to see happen. And I just didn't have a ton of hope for, you know, the government and the big banks sort of leading us in that direction after years already at that point of sort of working on trying to get there using more traditional methods. And, you know, my sort of involvement and interest has sort of ebbed and flowed a little bit over the years. But I, around 2017, I actually worked for Holochain for a while. I don't know if people are familiar with Holochain. Interesting project. Still have lots of friends there. But, you know, I was kind of at a place where I'd moved back to Toronto to be closer to family after about two decades on the West Coast of Canada and was just kind of looking for new ways to have an impact, kind of burnt out after, you know, many years of being on the front lines of, uh, of activism and you know, getting about as involved as you possibly could be. I was just looking for new ways to to have a positive impact. That was a project that really espoused its environmental focus. That same friend of mine, who's now an angel investor, no big surprise after, you know, he was mining Bitcoin in 2012, 2013, 2014. He, uh, he actually introduced me to that project. Uh, and we've just continued to talk along with a lot of other people on, you know, some threads and Signal and elsewhere, just about interesting things that were happening in the space. It was actually really DAOs recently that really brought me back into the space kind of on a full-time basis, you know, just sort of seeing this way that people were coming together and organizing in decentralized ways and having an interest in sort of, you know, what that could lead to and how that could sort of be expanded kind of just got me more and more, you know, day-to-day -day involved in crypto again. And and then this opportunity at Gitcoin came up after sort of helping with the first climate round in GR12. Uh, I got asked to come on full-time as a cause round lead and uh, and it's been a, an exciting and, and really neat opportunity to sort of play a role in helping to shepherd uh, this process through and, and hold the hands of a bunch of grantees who are doing really interesting, exciting work. I really like that cultural split between Bitcoin and Ethereum where Bitcoin is so classically libertarian, but then you'll have uh, within Ethereum, uh, I think it's like a wider range of influence beyond just the Austrian school of economics and the sort of like a narco-capitalist vision of the future where there's so many of those influences that are part of Ethereum, but like Glenn Weil's book is a good example of one too, where it's how to use markets to drive egalitarian outcomes. And you're like, cool, this is weird. This is something for everyone to love slash hate. And uh <laughs> I always like it when things break a little more unevenly rather than you know exactly what everyone's going to say and can predict it from a mile away. Ben, it seems that your vision of refi, regenerative finance, is becoming dominant, though. I hear maybe it's the space that Nori operates within, but I hear more about the growth of the overlap between crypto and climate than seemingly anything else. Surely this is the space that I work in more than anything else. But also out there in the general world, it's kind of 
taking over. What's it been like seeing this come to fruition with such a long pedigree in crypto? I mean, really exciting, honestly. I definitely have that same, you know, probably somewhat uh, skewed perspective, just given the circles that I'm in. But, you know, there there definitely is a lot of interest and growth in this space, you know, and uh, I, I think just looking at the number of grantees that uh, we've onboarded into the into the climate round in the last year, you know, speaks to that experience. A bunch of the projects that have actually received the most funding uh, in the last few grants rounds have actually been projects that came through our climate round, which uh, to me is just an interesting signal. And really interesting just to see people in crypto really uh, embracing these approaches. Like it's definitely not universal. There's lots of opinion and lots of perspectives out there. But anybody out there who's it's got a perspective that like people in crypto don't care about climate or aren't like interested in, you know, putting dollars behind, uh, you know, these kinds of solutions. Um, you know, I mean, I've definitely seen firsthand that that's not the case and that there's a, a wide spectrum of people that are not the so-called usual suspects in the in the climate space. Definitely not the people who are, you know, showing up at the rallies that I organized years ago, you know, who are, are quite interested in like, helping to move, uh, you know, innovative projects forward where there's, you know, upside for the earth and, you know, potentially upside for themselves as well, or even just like, you know, giving to things that really matter and and doing it with crypto, even in the midst of a bear market, which I've found particularly fascinating to watch, you know, as uh, the market changed pretty dramatically from, you know, when we were running our 12th grants round in December of 2011 to, you know, really the last six months or so now where we've actually continued to have some of our biggest grants rounds, uh, even as the bear market was in full force. Wow. What's the interaction with DAOs and innovations that are happening with governance where in our daily lives, we probably have very little ability to experiment with rules at scale or really any meaningful scale at all beyond just whatever you and a couple of friends or neighbors want to do. What is becoming possible now with DAOs? What are they? Sketch a vision for people who are maybe newer to it. Oh, Alessandra, did you want to? Yeah, no, no, no. I just have a question on because we hear lots of DAOs. So I want to part B of this question that Ross has is what DAOs have you seen that are successful? Um, because I love the idea of DAOs, then I actually don't know. And like, mind you, I'm not like a highly involved crypto person. So it's not like I would know like this is exactly it. Like being a person who loves the idea of DAOs. Are they actually successful? Do they do things? And what do they need to do in order to be successful? Hmm. All really good questions. I mean, probably the easiest one for me to point to is the one that's, uh, you know, paying me right now. (laughs) So, I mean, Gitcoin is a DAO. Uh, It actually started as a company, Gitcoin Holdings, and then transferred its assets over to a treasury and, you know, launched its own token, which is now what, you know, pays my salary. And, you know, I mean, it's interesting to to be involved in that. I, you know, get to be a steward in the DAO. So Kevin Iwaki delegated some of his voting power away to a bunch of staff and community members to sort of try to actively decentralize the voting power within the DAO. You know, so we ratify all the budgets quarterly, which is challenging, but, you know, important. You know, we uh, vote on the structure and the plans for future grants rounds. You know, honestly, I, having worked much of my life in sort of somewhat decentralized spaces, uh, I sometimes joke, although it's actually true, that one of my first memories as a child was taking minutes at a cooperative housing meeting with crayons. I've kind of grown up around, uh, you know, different models of uh, of organizing, uh, you know, as somebody whose parents was quite involved in activism when I was young and having spent much of my life, you know, either in political parties like the Green Party, which is, you know, definitely more decentralized than most political parties uh, in Canada, as well as, you know, working for a lot of nonprofits who tend to be at least somewhat decentralized. There's definitely a a scope of decentralization or or like a uh, spectrum, I guess you could say. And, you know, I, I think the interesting thing that all of us are struggling with is, first of all, like how decentralized is really decentralized. And I just made air quotes there for anybody who's listening, which I guess is everybody. And, uh, you know, the I think the the challenge is like, one, the like 
actually operating fully decentralized or at least partially decentralized and two really creating a a viable micro economy of some kind uh, like really what is it that gives your token value what utility does it genuinely have how does that continue to have value over time you know i got pretty involved in bankless dow and fwb uh, when i was first kind of experimenting in the dow space because they were just two of the bigger dows that were quite active and, you know, it was interesting to see up close, like uh, FWB's token is like, like basically completely tanked, although still has some value in the market. Although there was a time when a membership to Friends with Benefits was about $10,000. It's now like, I think less than $1,000 if last time I looked at the market, you know, Bankless Dow had similar problems. And one of the things I'm actually seeing people do is just like shifting a bunch of their treasury into stable coins when it's got some value so that they can continue to pay people regardless of the market fluctuations, which, uh, you know, I think is a smart thing. We're seeing a lot of treasury diversification stuff and like DAOs that are doing token swaps with each other or mutual grants, things like that to sort of find common ground. But I mean, I, I think it's still very much a big open experiment and some projects are doing a lot better than others. You know, the, one of the things that I personally find super interesting in this space is like some of these kind of smaller DAO applications like community energy grids. There's a project called Seven Energy in Norway, who is one of our Gitcoin grantees who uh, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing. I, I, I just did a, a research project uh, on kind of climate uh blockchain enabled climate solutions projects, trying to kind of dive deeper into sort of seeing all these different projects. And like, if you're running a local community level grid, you need some sort of a decision-making mechanism to sort of deal with the intricacies of how you're actually going to run that little uh, uh, microgrid. I think that's a, a very novel and very kind of clearly defined sort of DAO use cases, like making those kinds of decisions about, about your community energy grid. You know, so I think that's, you know, one kind of example that I, I think is interesting to sort of see how that plays itself out. I'm also interested in, in some of the kind of uh, collaboration and interoperability stuff. Like I think some DAOs are starting to see themselves as service providers to other DAOs, you know, like LexDAO, for example, which is like a legal services DAO or YAP, which does work on, uh, you know, basically supporting uh, public relations efforts for DAOs reaching out to the crypto media or even Bankless with their Bankless Academy or some of the services they provide for like helping people get a newsletter or a podcast off the ground or things like that. Yeah, still a big experiment, definitely challenging. I'd say probably the just dealing with the whims of the ups and downs of the market is, is kind of the biggest challenge, but it sure is exciting as somebody who's always had an interest in sort of local currencies to see how people can just create a currency out of thin air and, and fund something useful in the world. Look at some of your research that you're doing. You do some research at the Ethereum Foundation, right? Yeah. So I uh, I actually got this opportunity to help the Ethereum Foundation sort of wrap its head around, you know, kind of what's going on in the blockchain enabled climate solutions space. And just, 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 just finished interviewing a little over 50 different projects, including Nori, which thank you again for the time, uh, the two of you. It was a really, really interesting process to sort of talk to academics and critics and people who are leads of projects and sort of just kind of get a sense of like, you know, what's out there? What are people trying to build? What really seems to be viable? What has the biggest obstacles? You know, what relies on government or company adoption? You know, so yeah, I'll be releasing bits and pieces of that in the not too distant future and, and coming back to folks that we interviewed before doing that. So stay tuned. But yeah, it's uh, it definitely gave me a really good sort of sense of, of the space that like really just started by talking to people who were Gitcoin grantees and then sort of expanded from there. I really tried to break it down by sectors of the economy as opposed to sort of sectors of, of crypto projects. Like we looked at transportation and housing and waste and, you know, kind of tried to break it down in a way that sort of reflected the needs of the planet first and foremost. So uh, yeah. What else could I tell you about that? Lots of, I, I about a hundred different rabbit holes I could go down on yeah, that. I think you're just trying to bait us into us inviting you back. I think that's, <laughs> I think I'm being manipulated literally on the air right now. Is there nothing? <laughs> Can you give me like one nice juicy anecdote from that? <laughs> um, I, I can do that too you can come back when you're ready as well if you're sure i, I <laughs> didn't realize i'm doing that but i have been a campaigner for much of my life so uh you know 
<laughs> yeah, one juicy nugget. Let's see. Nori is a great project. How about that? Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like I think it just is interesting to look at the different models and approaches that people are taking to getting more hands directly in the hands of like, whether it be farmers or people doing forestry protection and looking at the different sort of obstacles that may be in their way if relying on traditional carbon markets or on government regulation. You know, so projects like Nori that are like finding ways to, you know, basically not be beholden to legacy institutions in the same way that uh, some other projects may be, I think is is an interesting component of the sort of landscape. Because definitely one thing that I identified uh, doing this work was that, you know, there are many innovative approaches that are very much dependent on buy-in from, you know, sort of legacy players who may have vested interest in maintaining the status quo. Like one of the areas that I'm personally the most excited about, like when I first started this, I thought it would actually be decentralized grid stuff that might be like the killer app that I would identify. And definitely the thing that I ran into looking at that was just how dependent on government policy and, uh, you know, the the utility companies, all of this is. I was, I was hoping I would find evidence that we could just kind of leapfrog over uh, legacy institutions. And, you know, definitely in some jurisdictions that's happening, like there's places in Africa and India and elsewhere where people are doing some pretty innovative stuff, but, you know, to, to kind of get to scale in, in the, you know, in the, in the Western world, uh, you know, there's some pretty big roadblocks. And probably the other big takeaway is that uh, logistics is probably the least sexy and one of the more potentially important uh, things that we could do with blockchain tech. And uh, just for the sake of shilling other potential guests, if, if you haven't talked to the guys from the Rocky Mountain Institute who are working in this space, or some of the folks who came from RMI or who are now uh, uh, working with Filecoin Green, I think they've got some interesting stuff to contribute in terms of like kind of what's possible in the logistics space. It's interesting. So I have a background too from, I used to work at Southern California this is before I quit my job and started this thing with these crazy folks. But I worked in the advanced technology lab and so we worked, I worked on renewable energy integration, data systems, like what are the things that are required to build a fully like kind of like microgrid. And I think you're absolutely right. There's so much for uh, opportunity for DAOs in general, these like decentralized decision-making mechanisms that is common in this space to innovate in those uh, spaces of utility and power. And yet there's already a foothold and legacy of obviously utilities currently existing. And then they're also regulated. A lot of them are regulated by their state governments and it moves so slowly. So um, maybe I think what we're going to have to see is we innovate in the spaces that move more quickly, especially at the edge of the what's built and what's not built. So like creating a whole new carbon market, for example, or a whole new mechanism for funding projects within climate is the thing. And then maybe in 10 years, who knows what you'll see in terms of blockchain applications within utilities. So I, my hope is that it does not it does not end here. It's just like they're not there yet. They're not at that part of the adoption curve. Totally. One small aside uh, about microgrids, uh, a project that I was totally unaware of that I discovered doing this research was uh, actually right here in Toronto, Canada, where I am, which is a company called Switch, who's doing microgrids in condos. Like basically they're letting people buy and sell electricity from their electric vehicles back into the microgrid that is that condo complex. And they're using blockchain tech to facilitate it under the hood. And nobody even knows that that it's a blockchain project. They basically are just looking for ways to have like transparent, verifiable, you know, ledgers of the amount of electricity that any individual automobile is like either putting on or taking off of that little grid. But it's interesting to think of what's possible at scale if like an entire parking garage went from just kind of being dead space to, you know, when all those vehicles are spending like 90% of their time just sitting there, uh, you know, could actually be this backup battery to you know, help with uh, uh, energy peaking at different times of the day and, you know, putting more affordable electricity directly back into that building, uh, you know, and potentially stopping a natural gas plant from having to fire up at peak times or off season. Yeah. So I I had no idea that company even existed. It was one of those kind of one thing leads to another, leads to another, and we end up having a conversation and hadn't even really thought of that as a form of a microgrid. But when they described it that way, I, I all of a sudden realized, yeah, of course, that's what that is. 
You're giving me lots of ideas about what we could do with condos here in Miami because there's so many condos going on. Side business. She starts another one. Just kidding. I don't have time. <laughs> awesome. I know how busy you are. Come on. <laughs> don't have time. Hey, uh, I, like one day. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Not now. Not Sit down and Not focus on your work. It is cool. I'm like giggling over here too because it also animates me. I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. This is really fascinating. But anyways, please continue. Yeah. So anyways, we I, I wanted to uh, introduce this topic that we talked about on a Twitter spaces a few weeks ago at the beginning of your, it was 15, uh, grant round 15 for the climate. Yeah. So Nori and Gitcoin, we had this little collaboration where uh, Nori sponsored 100 tons of carbon removed for that round. Do you want to tell us or share with the audience a little bit about what that was like and uh, the general program? For sure. Uh, well, I'll start by giving a big shout out to Darren for helping to shepherd this along and to you too, of course, Sally. The interesting thing about the last grants round, well, one of them, was that the uh, the Ethereum merge was happening right in the middle of the round. And because we use Ethereum mainnet infrastructure, as well as Polygon and ZK Sync for people actually making their donations, you know, the carbon footprint of every donation on the Gitcoin platform uh, was going to go down by 99.95%, about halfway through the round. You know, and it kind of gave us this moment of pause to think, okay, well, maybe we should be offsetting our historic emissions or in some other way, uh, you know, replacing or removing emissions that we've had historically. And there has been a bit of a conversation about sort of how to go about doing that, uh, you know, which of the various different protocols to use. So instead of just kind of picking one winner, so to speak, I thought it would be a great opportunity just to give a bunch of different projects who are broadly in this space the opportunity to, first of all, contribute and, you know, sort of help offset uh, historic emissions. So first of all, thank you to Nori for doing that. And, you know, in particular, to ask for the opportunity, uh, you know, for these projects to explain their point of view, their approach to this kind of work, and also to tell the stories of the projects that were actually getting funding as the result of, uh, of this particular effort. You know, so along with Nori, uh, a number of different projects also contributed. Uh, you know, there was Toucan, uh, Klimadao, Zero Labs, and Helios, and I think I'm, oh, Regen Network. Uh, of course, how could I forget Regen Network? You guys are uh, OG friends uh, from way back yeah, in the yeah, totally. yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I just thought it was a great opportunity to kind of get everybody in the same space and to help sort of educate the broader crypto community who might have an interest in this sort of thing about the various different approaches. Uh, you know, and, and I thought Nori did a great job of sort of explaining the difference between what you were doing and what others were doing. And I, I also thought just given how contentious some of this could be, that everybody involved did a great job of just kind of like, you know, expressing their perspective in a, you know, friendly way. <laughs> so thanks to everybody yeah, for that. Yeah, because <laughs> in the end, it really is like one climate change problem we're all trying to solve. And at Nori, we we don't aim to be right and hold fast to that, but we aim to get it right. And so that is just a creative process because no one's ever had to solve climate change before. And so we as a species need to adopt that learner's mentality and also creative mentality of, okay, you iterate. You might have an idea and then it iterates and you're constantly within that spirit, improving the thing that you have, whether, and, you know, we have our own vision, but hopefully amongst a bunch of folks, we're able to actually make reasonable action because I think we all kind of, well, not all, but for me, at least I have like climate anxiety. And sometimes I'm like, I can't think about it. And people, you know, my, my parents, my grandparents, oh, did you see this on CNN? I'm like, I don't know. Nope. Oh, did you read the new climate change book? Nope. Because what does that do for, for me, just myself as an individual, like very uniquely, I dedicate my whole life to this. So there's nothing more I can do. Providing more panic does not help the situation. So what I need more is like time in the hot yoga studio. <laughs> We're going to make like an, an older reference. Uh, it's like the Michael Jordan, Larry Bird matchups are they'd, uh, these famous matchups where they would push each other to be better. These were the best um, in the game a long time ago. And uh, I think it's really important to take that mindset, the competitive sportsman-like mindset where um, we may disagree, but it, um, there are certain things that will make everybody improve and step up their game. Mm -hmm. Love that. I'm not sure that we've always been that successful at that ethos either. 
we haven't been many of the refi players named have not appeared on the show. And I think part of it is that we, the theses are so different for what we think are the problems in carbon markets. And I don't want to put someone in a position where I'm just gonna be like, well, I don't think this is worth saving or able to be saved in the particular way that you're trying to. And then, but like, I, I would still like to be collaborative. I do think we're all on the same team. I haven't really cracked the code on how to be an ethical collaborator, given that there are some fundamental disagreements. Any ideas for how to unlock that, Ben? Am I just am I just ruined? Am That's I embarrassed by admitting this in public? <laughs> no, I think it's a it's a honestly with candor a question that we do discuss a lot internally at Nori, and we do believe that we want to address this together. But someone like Ben is perfectly apt to to answer so. that since he's been assessing all these people yes. and us and others. What we did in that last climate round was a good step in the right direction anyway, you know, because I think for a lot of people like who are not like, I, I think the Venn diagram of people who understand climate and understand crypto is a very small, thin slice. So like to really help people understand that and what those differences are, like huge differences between, you know, Nori and Klima, let alone like looking at Zero Labs and Helios, like, you know, folks who are doing renewable energy credits. And I just thought it was like, useful to have the conversation and try to sort of in layman's terms kind of uh uh you know really break it down you know whether each individual conversation is like the most productive most useful i think kind of like going through third parties is probably a good way to go like because it kind of gives you that you know space to have the conversation where it's not like they're on your podcast or you're on their podcast but like you know where we're all just kind of coming together as people who care about this stuff and i mean as alexandra pointed out like like it really is one big climate movement at the end of the day. There's only really uh, one climate. We all live here. We all need to figure this out, you know, and and even if our projects have totally different visions of how to move forward, you know, I, I think like just having those conversations in a, in a way that is productive is possible, you know, but it's not always necessary to have every single conversation either. You know, like uh, I have people in my life who I just avoid hold, hold all, all kinds of topics with over Thanksgiving dinner, for example, you know, <laughs> But there is common ground somewhere. So maybe we just focus on something else where there is common ground. And like, so I, I guess that would be it is like trying to figure out where the common ground is and like, you know, figure out ways that, uh, you know, we can genuinely be productive instead of, uh, you know, just kind of having conversations that may not be super helpful. To add to that is uh, the concept of not cutting corners. I think we could, I think that's the easiest way to to find common ground is that if um, everybody's trying to do their best to measure and verify to the best of their ability and uh, prevent against fraud and and uh, be as transparent as possible, then we're, we're starting from the right foot. There's definitely nuances and disagreements around that. But I think we noticed during climate week, we, we missed you during climate week, um, by the way, but we we bumped into a lot of folks that we consider be considered competitors. And when you have that face-to-face time, uh, you really notice there's not a lot of barriers between us. We're cut from the same cloth. We're hitting things from a different angle. I'm a broken record on this too, that I think Nori has made a number of design decisions that are controversial within the carbon removal community and within carbon market. We think these are the right decisions to make. We think these are the right risks to take for the company. And we think our breaking with orthodoxy is important in this way. But I can also respect that people don't all agree. And I think they might have good reasons for not agreeing in many cases too. And they have valuable pieces to add. And yet maybe that's prevented me from engaging in the refi community more deeply. I need to reevaluate that about myself. And hopefully I won't regret being vulnerable on the air. But that is what I'm <laughs> saying now. Then we got to wrap quickly, I guess, kind of quickly. Where can people who want to apply uh, do so? What do you want to see in this next climate round? What are you looking for? Good question. Well, I mean, we're actually at a uh, inflection point for Gitcoin. We're just about to switch to our new protocol. So the existing Gitcoin grants platform that Kevin Iwaki built like four plus years ago is basically reaching its end of life. And we're just about to switch to using this forkable version of the Gitcoin grants platform. Uh, there's actually a pretty active discussion happening on our governance channels right now where people can weigh in on sort of what they'd like to see the future of the program look like. 
But long story short is like right now is a great moment to be sort of thinking about how you could use the quadratic funding tools and mechanisms to run your own grants round to create new sort of versions of what Gitcoin's doing and also to sort of really double down on what we're doing, uh, you know, ourselves through the Gitcoin platform. So, I mean, long story short is like, Stay tuned for some big changes in the months ahead with how we're running Gitcoin Grants Rams. There's going to be a lot of experimentation and a lot of new partnerships and perhaps even a slight pause in when the next Gitcoin Grants Ram is. Uh, that's, uh, that's what's being discussed in that governance channel. For me personally, people want to reach me. I'm easy to find on Twitter. I'm just at Ben West on Twitter. Uh, I'm always uh, down for an interesting conversation about any or all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, and anybody who wants to get more plugged in can can just at me and I'm happy to point you in the right directions in terms of, you know, various projects or, you know, governance threads or whatever else mm-hmm. it might be to, to sort of dig in deeper. Yeah, I like your, um, I can always see that it's you've commented on something or because you have the emojis, panda, butterfly, monkey, and sunflower. <laughs> Very pleasant. Fine. I maybe topic for another discussion, but I'm writing a book called The Monkey Flower Experiment, which is uh, the reason why there's a monkey and a flower in my emoji. Well then, <laughs> we find something. This is more manipulation for a second uh, show. <laughs> uh, When's the book? <laughs> I've uh, been working on it since I got that donation from my friend who I mentioned before. But my first time I ever got some Bitcoin was he gave me 250 bucks worth of Bitcoin for that book in like 2015. And uh, I, I've i gone through various different versions of uh, the book. And it's actually evolved into a work of fiction, uh, largely during the COVID lockdown. I uh, gave myself permission to explore this idea that I was uh, playing with as a theater student many lifetimes ago. And it's basically about a group of uh, people kind of like Lord of the Flies on a university campus. It's a, a group of people on a off-grid experimental campus that gets cut off after a uh, large storm from the rest of the world and has to sort of figure out how to make its way forward. So if I ever find the time uh, to actually finish that book, uh, stay tuned. But uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I did get a, a big chunk of it done during uh, during lockdown. So stay tuned. Just uh, finish it before George R.R. Martin, and I think you're fine. All right, good. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Ben. Super fun to have you. Happy to have you back when it is justified, which doesn't even sound like it would be that long. But thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Allie, Darren, thank you. If you like what we're doing here, please give us a great rating review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening. Share it with a friend, all that good stuff, and have a delightful day. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com, follow us on social media, and we will catch you next time.